the second grade teacher says to her class, the word for today is fascinate. You need to put the word fascinate in a sentence. Julie raises her hand, the teacher calls upon her, and Julie says, I went to the zoo on Friday and saw the panda bears, and it was fascinating. Teacher said, that's good, Julie, but we're looking for the word fascinate, not fascinating. Then we have Luke. He raises his hand. Teacher calls on him. He says, I went to the radio, rodeo on Saturday. Love the rodeo. And I was fascinated by what I saw. Teacher said, that's really good there, Luke, but we want the word fascinate and Immediately, Timmy raises his hand, doesn't even wait, doesn't even wait for the teacher <laughs> to call upon him. And uh, Timmy says, my dad has a shirt with 12 buttons, but now he's so overweight, he can only fasten eight. <laughs> I trust that this study today uh, in Revelation chapter 10 will fascinate you as much as it has me. Uh, the background to Revelation chapter 10, the sixth trumpet has now sounded. Uh, that's Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 21. Uh, a third of mankind was killed with that trumpet judgment. And you have to recall that back with the fourth seal judgment, you had one-fourth of the world's population slain. So when you put it all together by this point of the tribulation, not even the midpoint yet, one half of the world's population has been killed. Now, as I'm about to read Revelation chapter 10 to you, here's uh, today's focus question. What does God expect you to do with his word? In other words, as you hear the word of God, as you read the word of God, what is it that God wants you to do with it? Let me go ahead and read Revelation chapter 10. John records, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets, then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, 
Take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I I thank you. We have uh, covered much terrain in the first nine chapters of Revelation. I thank you that John was commissioned to write what he had seen about that glorious vision of the resurrected and glorified Christ and the things which are those seven churches that were contemporaneous to him. And now, Lord, as we are moving through the tribulation period, We've gone from the seals now into the trumpets and this parenthetical insert, if you will, chapter 10. Teach us about the importance of your word and what we need to do with it. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. John describes his vision beginning in verse 1, and I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. In the book of Revelation, we have three mighty angels that are described. The first one was back in chapter 5 in verse 2. And we know that that angel was mighty because he proclaimed in a loud voice. Think about this. The voice reached heaven, came down to earth, and actually went under the earth, asking the question, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And then here, this powerful angel descending from above, reflecting the glory of God. And then as we will transition to Revelation chapter 17 and 18 with the destruction of Babylon, there is an angel that is described as very strong. He's holding a great millstone, perhaps weighing tons, and throws it into the sea, and says, thus shall Babylon be destroyed. This mighty angel is clothed with a cloud. Now, he's not riding a cloud, as we see Jesus will in his second coming, uh, Daniel 7, 13, and then we see that Jesus, when he left planet Earth after ministering for that three-and-a-half-year period, Acts 1, 9, left in a cloud, but clouds are associated often with judgment. In Matthew 24, 30 and 26, 64, pertaining to the second coming of Jesus Christ, he's riding on a cloud. We have to just connect also with the book of Revelation, the cloud with judgment. In Revelation 1, 7, remember our key verse, because Jesus Christ will come back, he will enact judgment on the earth and establish his kingdom, but how does he come back? He's on a cloud. And then in chapter 14, and we won't turn there, but in 14, 14, 15, and 16, we see the precursor to Armageddon. 
when Jesus will slay his enemies. And then once again, he is depicted as being on a cloud. He's not only clothed with a cloud, but there's a rainbow on his head. The rainbow takes us back in this book to chapter 4 and verse 3 as God the Father is on the throne just before the tribulation. The throne is surrounded with a rainbow, most likely communicating mercy in judgment. The entire earth's population would not be killed off. There would be a sharing of the gospel throughout that period of time, as we saw in chapter 7 with the 144,000 witnesses. Chapter 11, we'll see two witnesses. And then in chapter 14, an angel flying through the sky preaching the everlasting gospel. The concept of the rainbow going back to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 3. So after the flood, the inhabitants of the earth could look out and when they saw the rainbow, they would know that God would not destroy the earth again by a flood. So there's mercy that is being extended even at this period of time. Furthermore, the angel is described as having a face like the sun, perhaps reflecting the glory of Christ. In Revelation 1.16, Jesus is described, his countenance, like the sun shining in its strength. Uh, the strong angel uh, reflects the glory of God as the one in Revelation 18 and verse 1. Why? They have come from the presence of the Lord. And those who spend time in the presence of the Lord show his glory, much like Moses did in the Old Testament. Moreover, his feet were like pillars of fire. Maybe reminiscent of the pillars of fire that guided the nation of Israel as we see in Exodus chapter 13. You recall the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and it led the nation and it did not depart from the Israelites. But that same pillar of fire was used in judgment against the Egyptians in the following chapter in Exodus chapter 14. So we see feet like pillars of fire. And in verse 2, an interesting description. And he had a little book open in his hand. We're going to connect this later on, Ezekiel chapter 2. But hold your horses, if you will, and we'll take a look at that passage a little later. But one thing I want you to know right now, both passages, Ezekiel chapter 2 and here in Revelation chapter 10, speak about judgment. There is an important feature that you need to glean as you read Revelation chapter 10. The angel's positioning is very important. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. This posture is given three times here in verse 2. Then we'll see it in verse 5. And then lastly in verse 8. I think the importance of the posture shows that there will be judgment not only on earth, land, but then also on the sea. Down in verse 3, the one who stands upon the sea and land cried out with a loud voice 
This shows the strength, by the way, as when a lion roars majestically powerful. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Thunder identified often with judgment throughout the scripture. For instance, back in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 10, against the Philistines, God thundered. Psalm 18, verse 13, the same. Thunder is also a description of the Father's voice when he spoke to the Son in John chapter 12, 28 and 29. And the vast majority of uses of the word thunder, uh, perhaps except chapter 14 and verse 2, speak about judgment. Uh, we'll just take a look at two of these. Uh, back to chapter 8 in verse 5. Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, here we go, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Also, Revelation chapter 11. Let your eyes come down to the last verse of chapter 11, verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Now to verse 4, back in chapter 10. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. Don't forget, John is on the Isle of Patmos because he has a mission. The book of Revelation is unveiled to him, but he is the one who gets to write down what is revealed to the apostle. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, uh, perhaps this is the voice of Jesus because initially he is the one, back in chapter 1 and verse 19, that told John to write, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. It's so intriguing to me. How many times throughout the book does the command have to be given? Right, right, right. Why? Because John is so caught up with what he is seeing. I'm sure he was distracted from his mission to write. Now he's about to write. And he's told what? Don't write. Recall the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12. The entire book of 2 Corinthians is given as a defense of his apostleship. There were those who had come into the church of Corinth, accused Paul of certain dastardly things, and tried to undermine his ministry to the Corinthians. Paul shows how authentic he was by the sufferings he encountered and yet kept on going. He gives us a list. He catalogs a large list of sufferings in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But then in chapter 12, he talks about the visions and the revelations given to him. And lest he become proud, he needed to be humbled. And he had a messenger of Satan. But what had God done? God permitted the apostle Paul to go past the clouds to first heaven. Past the stars, the second heaven, 
and into the very presence of God called paradise. And there he heard things that he was not permitted to write. Why did God do that for him? Well, I think because Paul would suffer so much, he needed a taste of the glory that was coming his way. And Paul did not deviate from his mission, but he was not to write. John is not to write what is transpiring before us. There will be judgments that will take place on the earth and the sea during the tribulation that we don't even know about. We don't understand their nature. This is what's going on. But this is what we need to be encouraged with. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. We have learned an awful lot in just our first nine chapters of the book of Revelation. Yes, there are judgments that will transpire on the sea and the earth that we don't know about, but yet we need to take to heart the things that we have already learned, the things that are given to us. Now, for the second time, the angel is depicted, this is down in verse 5, as standing on the sea and on the land. And he lifts up his hand to heaven. The majority of Greek manuscripts has the word right, his right hand. He was taking an oath. This is reminiscent of Daniel chapter 12 and verse 7 where an angel was doing the same thing. Verse 6, and swore by him who lives how long? Forever and ever. God is often described in the book of Revelation as being eternal. We saw it back in chapter 1 and verse 18, chapter 4, verse 9, verse 10. We'll see it again in chapter 15 and verse 7. How is God, the eternal one, further described? He created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it. Why the emphasis upon God as creator? I take you back and you're thinking to chapter 4 in the throne room of God. Do you recall how the chapter ends? There is praise offered to God because he's the creator of all things. Implication. If God created all things, people, the earth, the sea, does he not have the right to judge all things? That is what I think we are seeing here once again in Revelation chapter 10. And then he goes on to write here, John, that there should be delay no longer. No longer. Uh, this statement corresponds to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. Remember, I keep bringing us back to the martyrs that are praying, what? How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, Revelation 6.10. The earth dwellers, the inhabitants of the earth, those who say, this world is my home, are now being judged and judged greatly. So the prayers of the martyrs from throughout the tribulation period, those that are described as under the altar 
they are now having their prayers answered. And now verse 7, let me read this to you in its entirety. It's a mouthful and I want to unpack this for you. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, this would be the seventh trumpet judgment. We'll see it in 11, 15 through 19. When he is about to sound, see there's an anticipation here. The mystery of God would be finished. A mystery in the Bible is a sacred secret. Once hid, now revealed, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. I want to draw your attention to the word finish, where it says the mystery of God would be finished. It's a past tense verb. Grammarians would call this a proleptic aorist. Proleptic has the idea to receive beforehand. You see, from the seventh trumpet will come the seven bowls. And from that seventh bowl will come the second coming of Jesus Christ, who will then judge the inhabitants of the earth, Armageddon, and then establish his kingdom. So there is this sense that the kingdom is coming and there is a great anticipation. But from the writer's point of view, it's as good as done. And that's why he uses the past tense verb. And this is not a surprise because it says, as he declared to his servants, the prophets, in the Old Testament, there is much information about the future kingdom. So these things were predicted and now they're just around the corner. Verse 8, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, perhaps the same voice as 10.4, that did not permit John to write about the seven thunders. But what's the command here? Go. Take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. Now for the third time, the posture, the position of the angel is given. He's standing on the sea, one foot in the sea, and then, if you will, one foot on the earth showing both will be judged. This is quite bold, by the way. This is a strong angel, and now John is commanded to go to the angel and to take the book, verse 9. And I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. See, John's obedient. God gives him a command, and although it might seem intimidating, he does what he is told to do, and he said to me, this is Revelation chapter 10, verse 9, and he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Earlier, I said we would take a look at Ezekiel chapter 2. Now is the time. Would you turn here with me, please? Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel, the prophet, ministering during a difficult time to the southern kingdom. Those in Judah had been disobedient. So God enacted judgment on him in 605 B.C. That's the book of Daniel. And then we come forward here to Ezekiel, a contemporary of Daniel, 597. And we have another judgment. 
And then finally, the big one in 586 BC, where the temple is destroyed and Jerusalem is just decimated. So a context of judgment because the southern kingdom of Judah did not get the message when God had judged even the northern kingdom back in 721, 722 BC. Now with me here, Ezekiel 2.8. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Sound familiar? Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside. This is called an epistograph, very unusual, writing on both sides. And written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. See the idea of judgment. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. You digest the scroll and then go speak to them. You get the order, everybody. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. You thank God for grace, right? (laughs) And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. All right, let's start to tie this together. Back with me to Revelation 10. Now down to verse 10. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. See, prophecy is sweet to study because there's an awe of the nature of God. The timeless God who can predict the future. And as we study the Old Testament and into the New Testament, look at all the predictions, we marvel at how wonderful our God is. So the Word of God is sweet. But may I say it is also difficult to digest. We are not even to the midpoint of the tribulation and one half of the world's population is killed. That's bitter. That's very bitter. And the bigger question, where do those people go after they die? But I want you to see that John's prophetic ministry carries on. And he said to me, this is verse 11, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Question. What does God expect you to do with his word? Main point, digest God's word and then proclaim it. Such an important point. Digest God's word and then proclaim it. This is what John does. He eats the book and then he is obedient to do what God called him to do to speak. You and I, child of God, Need to digest God's word. Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if you think of the hand, there are five things you need. You need to understand about the word of God. Number one, if you will, with the little finger, you got to hear it. 
You got to hear it. That's right. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God preached will build spiritual muscle. You need to be hearing God's word regularly. The second thing you need to do is you need to read the word of God. I encourage people, I've done one devotion book, Devotions on Fire. Second one is coming out soon, Devotions on Fire YouTube. There's a, a scriptural schedule that you read through the Bible in one year. I begin with something from that passage, a verse, a part of a verse. Then I ask you a question. Then I give you some teaching on that. But how do we end it with the employment point? There's something you need to do. And look at Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he who reads. The individual stands up to the congregation. And those who hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. There was a blessing imparted to the individual who read to the others this book, the book of Revelation. But there is a blessing that goes upon the child of God when he reads the word of God. And then as we are continuing on the fingers, you think of the third one, we study the word of God. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to study the word of God. There's much to learn. And then may I say number four, we need to memorize the word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to thy word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And here's the verse you probably know best. Your word or thy word, I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you or thee. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. You need to be memorizing the word of God. Satan attacks us at times when we're not carrying a copy of the word of God. So we have to have that word in our hearts and our minds and be ready to take out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and wield it. And then finally, we need to meditate. Yes, we do. We need to meditate upon God's Word. Roll it over in your mind. Psalm 1 is a great psalm. It really introduces the 150 psalms, does it not? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And it continues on to show that the individual that God blesses, he causes to be blessed, is the individual who meditates on God's word. How day and night is a continual thing for that individual. Now to wrap this all up, would you turn with me to James chapter 1, please? See, some folks love sermons. And I'm always thankful when people come to church and hear me preach or they come and they hear Pastor Kenny preach. We're thankful for that. We are blessed that we have subscribers who come to our YouTube channel and regularly watch our messages. That's wonderful. But it's not just about hearing the Word. It's about doing the Word. We, we will turn our communities upside down when we practice what we learn. James 1, down in verse 19, 
So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save or deliver your souls. But be, and that's a command, by the way. This is a command. But be doers of the word and not hearers only what? Deceiving yourselves. The compound term for deceiving means aside and reason. It means to reason falsely. Don't be like that. Don't deceive yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Continuous action in past time. Who he continually was. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Dear child of God, hear the word. Read the word. Study the word. Memorize the word. Meditate upon the word. But make sure you are a doer of the word. So what's our main point? We digest God's word and then proclaim it. Make a commitment. Make a commitment that you will have daily discipline to include these five elements of Bible study and then go out and proclaim to others the gospel message. Christ died for their sin and was raised from the dead. We need to be individuals who understand the book. We need to digest it. It needs to become part of who we are. It needs to become part of our fabric and our fiber, if you will. And then we need to share it with others. Digest God's word and then proclaim it. Let's pray. Father, I truly love this portion of the Word of God. It's a great reminder to me what my daily commitment needs to be. And I pray not only for myself, for the pastoral staff here at Comer Manor Bible Church, I pray for pastors around the country and around the globe. I ask for those that are hearing the message today or subsequently through the internet, I pray that we would take these five things and put them into practice. And then, Lord, help us not only to digest your word, but then may we proclaim it, may we share it with others. Give us a holy boldness to do what John did, a man that was persecuted for his faith, banished to the Isle of Patmos. He still digested your word and boldly, proclaimed it. Help us to do the same. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.